Your film is now ready to be shown. Good morning. I'm Justin Hendricks, editor of Tech Policy Press, a nonprofit media and community venture intended to provoke new ideas, debate, and discussion at the intersection of technology and democracy. Hello, hello there. Welcome, everybody, to Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000. We seek catharsis in the age of AI hype. We find the worst of it and pop it with the sharpest needles we can find. Along the way, we've learned to always read the footnotes. And each time we think we've reached peak AI hype, the summit of Bullshit Mountain, we discover there's worse to come. I am Emily M. Bender, a professor of linguistics at the University of Washington. And I'm Alex Hanna, Director of Research for the Distributed AI Research Institute. Today is episode 12. The theme is Welcome to Hell. If you're not already a listener, that's a standard intro on the podcast Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000, hosted by Alex Hanna and Emily Bender. They scrutinize artifacts drawn from the flood of material that promotes the extraordinary promise of artificial intelligence to do everything from solving economic inequality and halting climate change in its tracks to replacing the work of medical professionals. And while those floodwaters continue to rise, Alex and Emily are hopeful that closer scrutiny of the claims and language used to promote AI can lead to better outcomes. I caught up with them last week. So I'm very grateful that the two of you found time to talk to me today because you really truly have been at the center of a tempest over the last six months. It seems like since the release of ChatGPT, both of you have been in media, at conferences, just perpetually in demand as commentators on our new robot overlords and the <laughs> hype around it. How does it feel being at the center of, of all of this attention? It's a little exhausting. It's also an interesting shift because it's not like there wasn't AI hype before. So we've been doing our work on AI hype. But the podcast that's coming up, we started that in August of last year, but we've been working together on papers since before that. And a lot of it was sort of within the research community pushing back on AI hype. But the big change with the release of ChatGPT was that all of a sudden, it seemed like the broad public was involved in the conversation. And so a lot of it was actually saying the same things we've been saying, but saying it to new audiences, which is a great opportunity, but also the world could do with less AI hype. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that even though we've been in the mix of all these conversations, it's kind of a time waste in some ways because there's just so much hype to counteract and there's so many people that are interested in getting in on the gold rush of generative AI right now. And they're just promising so much. So, I mean, there's a necessity to counteract that, but there's also kind of a research program we both independently had prior to that, um, that had to do with a lot of, you know, similar things around Emily's work around natural language understanding and other, other kinds of interpretations and misinterpretations of natural language. My own research program around data and the institutions that are producing data and the kind of labor around data and has become a component of what we do. But yeah, now we have to just find different venues <laughs> and different strategies of tech against all the hype. One journalist I talked to pointed out that 
nobody gets paid to combat AI hype, but lots right. of people are getting paid to put it out. 100%. And so it's a really <laughs> uneven playing field. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about one particular project that the two of you have to pierce the veil or pierce the bubble of AI hype, which is this podcast, which has a kind of comedic intent in it. Perhaps it's maybe a therapeutic effort for the two of you. But I want to ask you a little bit more about your research agendas and why you're doing this work. Maybe, Emily, we'll start with you. I work in computational linguistics. I'm a linguist, and I've got one research strand that has to do with multilingual grammar engineering and computational semantics, and that's all pretty far from this conversation, except that it informs my understanding of what language is and what the understanding of language is. And then since early 2017, late 2016, I've been working on the societal impacts of language technology. And in that space, you know, there's a lot to be said about how things like large language models pick up bias and what the implications of that are. But also I found these two things sort of merging together in the misconceptions of what language models are doing and the way they're hyped in the world. So there are societal impacts, negative societal impacts of saying that these are everything machines that understand and can think. And so that's been a focus of my research as well, sort of where these things meet up. And you're absolutely right that our podcast is therapeutic and irreverent, mm -hmm. and we'll talk more about that. And Alex, and how about you? I would say the strand that has gone through the kind of interaction of technology and society. And I mean, my very early work has been looking at the impact of social media on politics, social media on social movements. And then I think also around the same time in 2017, it's been more of a science and technology studies understanding of machine learning and AI. And so my work since then has looked a lot more at data sets that are used in the construction of AI. And that's kind of where Emily and I connected. I think we were joking on Twitter about something. I forget exactly why, but it, it ended up producing two papers, one AI and the Oh, gosh. <laughs> AI and the everything in the whole wide world benchmark. Thank you. Yeah, we just call it the Grover paper because it, it has a really great anecdote with Grover from Sesame Street, where he goes into this museum and it's the everything museum. And then there's, uh, you know, gifts through this museum and then there's a door labeled everything else and it's sort of the real world. And then we have another paper, which is data and it's discontents on on kind of a, it's a survey paper on a bunch of the uses and criticisms of data used in, in machine learning. And and the current project that I'm working on pursuing is, I guess I, I the short way of describing it, it's kind of a social history of ImageNet, but not told through the progenitors or the curators and researchers, but told from the workers who labored on it and also some of the data subjects. And But it's still, a, a I don't want to say too much about it because it's kind of a a kernel in my eye and I don't want to get out in front of it. And I'm, I'm willing to mix my metaphors. It's my privilege as a second generation immigrant to mess up metaphors. What you say about those two papers is that it wasn't just me and Alex, but also, yes. so the Grover paper, AI and everything in the whole wide world benchmark, the lead author there is Deb Raji. And then on data and its discontents, the lead author is Amanda Lynn Pallada, and Emily Denton is also an author on those papers. So it was that group of people. And I think the other four were sort of working together already. And then when everyone was just all online in 2020, on the strength of those Twitter interactions, I got sort of looped in to <laughs> the weekly Zoom meetings. And that's where those papers came from. I want to talk a little bit about the genesis of this podcast because, you know, you've, you've taken essentially 
the idea of mystery science theater 3000, which if folks don't remember it, I am of course old enough to remember mystery science theater 3000. There was a gentleman and his three robot pals who would watch typically very bad older movies and essentially poke fun at them the entire time. It was a sort of irreverent, bizarre, you know, show which came on late at night and probably only appealed to people in a certain state of mind, but (laughs) in its own way was kind of funny and kind of smart. So talk to me about this. Where did this idea to do this around AI hype come from? So it started with the group chat that persisted from that group that was writing those two papers. So we weren't meeting actively anymore, but we still had a group chat and we would just sort of use it to collectively and quietly roll our eyes at some of the worst stuff that we were seeing. So we were just among the five of us, whenever we saw something terrible, just throw it in that chat. And then I came across this really, really awful blog post, which is the subject of what turned out to be our first three episodes. And I said, we've got to give this the Mystery Science Theater 3000 treatment. (laughs) Who's in? And the sort of funny little secret here is that I had actually never watched that show. (laughs) I just knew the concept. I'm like, but let's do this. And Alex was all over it. And not only had Alex actually seen the show, but she also knows how to like stream things over Twitch. So well, what was it like on your side, Alex? Well, I okay. So let me let me not give myself that much credit. First off, I'm a dedicated adherent of this show, being raised by late night Comedy Central and an Adult Swim type programs. And, you know, had watched the movie, I think, version of it multiple times. And, you know, it was really a learning as we go kind of thing in terms of the streaming, learned basically how to use Twitch. I mean, the first episode is pretty rough because I think we tried to use a stream software and literally had to download one and relearn midstream. And then it kind of went from there. Luckily, nowadays, we have a very talented friend of mine who's a radio producer, Christy Taylor, who produces the show and does post-production and has been a phenomenal person to work with. And so, yeah, it was a combination. And we said, hey, let's just throw this thing up on Twitch um, just because it had been kind of a, a cool way of engaging. And I think the format itself has been really great because it has invited a group of dedicated fellow travelers to come along with us as we pick up new artifacts on along the way and just poke holes at, this, at them and, and troll them mercilessly. And I think that part of it for me was I also will do deconstructions of AI hype in text form. Mm -hmm. So sometimes tweet threads or tweet threads and sometimes like blog posts. And this first blog post that we treat, which is something like, can machines learn how to behave? There was so much of it that I felt like it would have been just too tiring to go through in text, Mm -hmm. but could be really fun to do it sort of reactively, especially with a buddy. And I think it, it turned out really fun. And when you listen to the first couple episodes, you'll hear that we aren't planning this to be a long-term thing. And right. then in later <laughs> episodes, we're sort of constantly surprised that we're still doing it. Let me ask you a little bit about the reaction. Have any of the folks whose work you have deconstructed, or perhaps in some cases pilloried, have they reached out to you? Have you had any dialogue with any of these individuals? And I should say, some of this work is coming from executives at big tech companies. I wouldn't assume they have particularly thick skin. I know, Emily, you've had a few reactions. I would say a lot of the people that come after us are already people that quite don't like us <laughs> for either daring to 
go at the kind of notion of these technologies and and sort of not acknowledging you know the kind of potentials of the technologies and i mean there is a little bit of a twitter kerfluffle of saying okay these technologies are very impressive in what they're doing we can start from there and then criticize it but i would love to sort of flip it and say well that's not the purpose of the podcast these technologies have already legions of celebrators and sure okay they're doing some interesting things we don't have to celebrate it to criticize them <laughs> i don't know that i've actually gotten too much pushback around the, the podcast stream specifically i get a lot around the stochastic paris paper mm. but i think for the most part the folks that we have pilloried and there has been some of that have either not known or have decided that they just didn't want to draw attention to us so it'll be interesting to see we started recording it in august of last year and now we're releasing those first episodes and we'll keep going as a podcast. So it's probably going to get more traction than it's had as a Twitch stream. And so those responses might be incoming. There have been some responses. I'm thinking about the Sparks of AGI paper and the lead author had le- re- reached out. But it was mostly around removing the the footnote to the paper that had been signed by 50 to psychologists or something. It was this paper from, was it 1994 that was effectively supporting Charles Murray's bell curve hypothesis. They had linked to this intensely, very racist kind of letter, effectively saying, based on IQ, you know, white people are an aggregate, smarter than black people. And there's some essentialist kind of reasoning behind that. And I mean, the response was to remove the quote, but not really remove the impulse of the whole study of intelligence and, and social intelligence and IQ, which has its its eugenicist origins. So it's sort of like, okay, you move the most egregious kind of citation of this, but you are still legitimizing this whole area of research, which is intensely problematic. So kind of missing the forest for the trees right there. Yeah, although I don't think that I can claim that as an effect of our show because I was also making noise about it on Twitter. Sure. Fair enough. Well, let's let's take a look at one of these little pieces that you put together. Do you have an example for us, something that we can look at in real time? Yeah, I do. So one of the things that we do starting in maybe episode four or five is something called Fresh AI Hell. So each episode has like the main course, the main thing we're looking at. And then we save a few minutes at the end to just look at random little tidbits of AI hype that we want to to mock. And so here's one that we haven't got to. So you can say I saved this for Tech Policy Press. All right. I so- want to say about this fresh AI hell too. I mean, this is, I think this is a comment one of us made. What fresh AI hell is this? And now something that I love that Emily's been doing, although it kind of puts me on the spot is we kind of have a nice intro to the segment and Emily gives me a prompt and then Sometimes doing some literal song and dance. So, <laughs> oh gosh, this one. Okay, so we'll do this in full style. Emily, do you want to read what we're looking at? Sure. So we're looking at a tweet of a screen cap of some other social medium and someone whose byline is consultant technology management has written, and this, well, I can tell you exactly when this was, so sometime in the last few months. I can suggest an equation that has the potential to impact the future. E equals MC squared plus AI. And it goes on. This equation combines Einstein's famous equation, E equals MC squared, which relates energy E to mass M and the speed of light C, 
with the addition of AI, artificial intelligence. By including AI in the equation, it symbolizes the increasing role of artificial intelligence in shaping and transforming our future. And think, oh no, there's one more sentence, I gotta read it. This equation highlights the potential for AI to unlock new forms of energy, enhance scientific discoveries, and revolutionize various fields such as healthcare, transportation, and technology. The screenshot looks like it comes from LinkedIn, which is, you know, the most vapid of all social media platforms. And in the quote tweet says, this is what you all sound like when hyping AI. I think I reposted this and many of the replies were like, well, you know, it's not wrong because if in this case, AI equals zero, then, you know, it has then gone ahead and said that AI itself is an empty signifier. But it does symbolize the kind of hype, I mean, the way that this stuff is just used with no attention to the meaning of words and what these things are actually doing. These things get further and further divorced from any kind of semblance of reality and what these things are and what the technology is, that it's just it's just really confounding. So I don't know what this is. This is just hell. Like, this is a hell kind of thing. There's nothing to deconstruct. It just is, this just sucks. <laughs> one thing that I found particularly striking about this one is that usually we're seeing it as, you know, the AI or the Matthew Math or the chat GPT can be used in this healthcare context or it can be used in this education context. And it's sort of like computer science folks impinging on other areas of expertise as if there aren't people out there who know what they're doing. They don't usually go after physics. I like this because this is truly like galaxy brain scale sort of thinking, but it actually, it prompts me to ask you a question, which is about the relationship between sort of AI and faith or AI in the future. I mean, I feel like so much of this hype and this one kind of does it to some extent is driven by this sort of thought that this is the answer, folks. This is the answer to all the problems. This is what we've been waiting for. And if you're not sort of on the train towards solving, you know, all of the species problems with this new technology, then, you know, you're standing in the way of progress. You're standing in the way of Valhalla, you know, <laughs> and that kind of comes through a little bit in this one. But I mean, isn't that kind of what's going on here a little bit? These are now articles of faith that AI is going to lead us to the promised land. Yeah, absolutely. And if you dare to speak against it, then you're branded as a heretic or what was it? Timnit Gebru was saying that she and I have been being described as capability deniers. Huh, that's a new one. What does yeah. that mean? What is a capability in this construction? My guess is that it's all the things that supposedly the large language models, ChatGPT at all, the capabilities that they have, which are these supposed emergent abilities that are the sparks of AGI and so on. And when we look at that and say, no, actually, you're fooling yourself by looking at plausible text that came out. I've been starting to call it extruded from the text of the system machine and making sense of it. Then, then people who really do have something of a religious fervor about this get upset and say, no, you're, you're denying what is, you know, plain to see that this is really effectively magic. Capability deniers is a fascinating insult because capability, it strikes me as a bit of an ableist like insult too, because it's sort of like, so much of technology doesn't work for disabled people. And it's sort of like, and yet this thing should solve this. It has this like positive dual use quality that, you know, people, which I mean, as a sociologist and, you know, that 
that is kind of historically inflected, my, my tendency is like, well, how can we make historical parallels to like what was going to be this amazing sort of thing in the past? I try to find those connections. And I mean, there's and the kind of idea of AI as being this kind of faith-based article, it does definitely connect with other kinds of promises of automation, other kinds of promises of, you know, robotics, of things that are going to be a sort of intelligence that's going to be this intense kind of labor-saving thing. My sense is the faith element, I think you're absolutely right, is a component of it. And it is, if I'm allowed to sort of borrow a, a term from Althusser, but it's kind of this ideological, oh, what is it? An ISA, an ideological appendage that sits on top of the massive amounts of wealth that are going into this field right now. I think McKinsey, people are trolling this McKinsey article, I think it said, AI and, you know, whatever, five years is going to be worth $4.4 trillion. And if you look at the amount of money that's been tossed around in AI deals, it's about $44 billion in the past five years. So yeah, I mean, pick your ideological structure that you want and take it as an article of faith that this is going to revolutionize something. But that's, that's really buttressing this huge amount of money that's just gold coins being stacked one on top of each of each other precariously. What do you hope if you had the ability tomorrow, let's say more of the industry, more of policymakers who are concerned with AI woke up, maybe they discovered your podcast, maybe they discovered some of your thinking, your papers. How would we as a society be addressing AI at the moment? What would we be doing differently? So what I'm hoping, and we're starting to see some glimmers of this. I love it. I've actually, I've I've heard this all through Alex that like various people have been sending our show to others who are in decision-making positions. And, you know, what I hope that we're going to see is much more critical thinking about what these technologies are on the one hand. So sort of as consumers and as decision-makers, we can say, no, actually, that's not a source of information. No, actually, that's not a replacement for therapy, et cetera. And then also have the energy to look at the ways in which management is using this to displace and weaken labor. And there's a whole set of harms that are happening in that space that I think are less exposed than they might be because everyone's looking at the shiny new toy. Although huge props to the Writers Guild who have made this a central issue in their strike. And I think that is raising awareness. Yeah. And I would say from a decision maker perspective, I mean, the good thing is that there are lots of moves towards an this direction. There was a great letter from, let me make sure I can name all of them, the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau, the EEOC, the DOJ, and FTC put out a joint letter effectively saying, look, we've got the tools to effectively regulate elements of AI and AI hype as it is. You need to be very careful in claiming the capabilities of these systems and not to oversell them. We're going to pay attention to the ways that these things can exacerbate discrimination, the ways in which they can harm consumers. And so that is some very nice signal, at least coming from regulatory bodies. As Emily said, it'd be great if there is a lot more attention paid to the labor component of this, the way that there is the threat of the way automation is going to harm and displace workers. The hypers want to say that these things are going to make workers more efficient, that, you know, it's going to usher in a um, fully automated luxury communism phase where 
workers are going to be able to use that free time and, you know, pursue art and read Plato or whatever. But, you know, that's not how late capitalism works. Late capitalism works by driving down wages, by even if these things work or not, by depressing wages or by devaluing work and firing people and then rehiring them to be automation babysitters. And so I'm hoping there's more attention that's paid to this by bodies that can improve labor conditions by the NLRB, by legislators and legislatures who pay attention to labor. But I do think the writers have really highlighted that. Other folks who have been unionizing have highlighted that, including the former staff of the National Eating Disorders Hotline, who unionized and then were promptly all laid off in favor of a chatbot named Tessa, which immediately failed in providing good, actionable eating disorder advice. Well, I should hope that perhaps via this podcast, some policymakers and others who may want to adopt a skeptical point of view will find Mystery AI Hype Theater 3000. Its hosts, Emily M. Bender, Alex Hanna, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you. This has been a joy. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate it. That's it for this episode. I hope you'll send your feedback. You can write to me at justin at techpolicy.press or find us on Twitter at techpolicypress. Thanks to my guests, thanks to my co-founder, Brian Jones, and thank you for listening. Tech Policy Press.